Who gives the increase? I may plant, Apollos may water, but God is the one that giveth increase. So primarily remember something. Increase is tied to God. God is the God of increase. Hard labor, sweat, does not guarantee increase. Neither does laziness. We need to work hard, but we need to understand unless the favor of God shows up on our lives, increase will not manifest. But when favor shows up, and we are working and doing what we're supposed to, even in the midst of famine, you will flourish. Hallelujah. So when I talk about hard labor, sweat and toil, I'm not saying God has any premium over laziness. In fact, the Bible very clearly tells us that they that do not work should not eat. I'm talking to somebody here who are just grown up in age and try to say, I am, you know, entitled to this and sit home and do nothing but play games on their, t on their uh, uh, you know, their iPhones or whatever they have and watch TV all day and expect their mother and father to feed them or their wife to feed them. I'm talking to you. But pastor, I'm not finding a job. Go serve somewhere even without pay. Get yourself busy. Start working. God will open a door. But your laziness is causing you to go downwards. It is not going to open a door. Because you are reluctant. You are lazy. I'm talking to somebody this morning. We need to work. But just working does not guarantee the increase of God. But the favor of God. So what am I supposed to focus? I'm supposed to focus to align my life. Align my heart. Align my thinking with God's. Whatever God requires of me is what I should be working towards. It's because when I please my God, the favor of God manifests in my life. Joseph pleased God. So God's favor was upon him and the Bible says he prospered hallelujah the mark of the hand of God upon your life will be evident as people see you and see everything that's happening around you say amen so as I said we got to align ourselves and we have come to the place in what I've been sharing and teaching on on this subject to the place of the importance of the renewal of the mind. Because let me go now to Romans chapter 12, please. Take you there. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Look, and let's look at this. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think transform you into a new person by the way by changing the way you think he's saying let the word of god impact your thinking so that you now when you start to think differently you become a different person he's talking to born again christians 
who don't understand the priorities of God, who don't understand the mind of God, who don't understand the ways of God. You know, you can experience God but not know the ways of God. Do you hear me clearly please this morning? You can experience the acts of God but not know the ways of God. And what is important is to know the ways of God. That means my heart must be open to Him and my mind must be pliable in His hands so that it can be renewed and shaped into what God wants it to be. Can I hear an amen? The Bible says the people of Israel knew the acts of God, but, God, but Moses knew the ways of God. Moses was the only one that could think like God thinks. Because Moses knew how to believe and trust in God. He knew his God. Mark those words. He knew his God. See, only when I can trust somebody in my life, I'm open to receive what they say and begin to yield myself so I can begin to agree with the way they think. But if I don't trust that person, no matter how good he is according to others, I will not be really open to let him speak into my life to shape my thinking. So you see, the problem is that many Christians do not trust God. Because they don't know God. They know about God, yes, so that they can be assured that they don't go to hell. They ask Jesus to come into their life and they say, Lord, you're, you're the Lord of my life and the God of my life so that when I die, I go to heaven. And, that, and the journey stops there. But we need to understand, but if you want to experience what God has for us in store, we got to be more open to let Him influence us. The question is, is God influencing your thinking? Who is influencing your thinking? Who is shaping your thinking? Is it the Lord? Is it God's Word? Or is it someone else? Is it your culture? Is it your parents? Is it the media? Is it the news? What is shaping your thinking? Because you will only be what you begin to think like. As a man thinketh, so is he. See, thinking is so important. This is why it's very important that you decide in your heart who you will open your mind to. Who you will open your heart to. You cannot have too many people with opposing voices. There are many voices, the Bible says. There are many voices. And the many voices are competing to influence you. Voice has the power to influence your thinking. The voice has the power to influence your belief system. The voice has the power to influence what you believe and, what you, and the way you act. So we got to be careful who you will allow to speak into your life. Who you will allow who, who, to shape your thinking. Say amen. amen. So what is, he saying over, what is he saying over here in uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 2? Let God. Somebody say let God. Amen. That means he says, don't let anybody else. Let God transform you into a new person. What person is he talking about? The person of Jesus. We want to become more like who? I said like who? How can you become more like Jesus if you don't spend time in his word? How can you become more like Jesus if you don't go to church and don't listen to the word of God? How can you become more like Jesus if most of your time you're exposed to all kinds of nonsense that or other things that other people are saying and spend very little time in the word or listening to the word? Whoever you open yourself up to and spend more time with is the one that's influencing you. Let God. He's saying, 
I got to make a decision that I will permit God. I will permit God to work in me so that I can be transformed into a new person that is like Christ by changing the way I think. Hallelujah. I'm impressing upon you this morning that your thinking will shape your future. Your thinking will determine where you will end up in life. Your thinking will determine how you will manifest or how you will behave in life. So when we talk about increase and we believe that God is the one that increases us. But we don't allow or permit God to speak into us. Or we don't allow and permit God's word to minister to us. How can increase show up? The increase that I'm talking about is the increase that comes from God. Say Amen. So last week, talking about this, we looked at the reference of Joseph. And, uh, and we said about this, and I just want to read a couple of uh, verses there. And Joseph had a dream in uh, Genesis 37 verses 5 through 10. And uh, he went and told them, <clears throat> told his brothers, he said, suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed to low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king? And they said, do you, do you actually think you will reign over us? Hey, what do dreams do? Dreams influence your thinking. Why is it that when you dream of, a, uh, 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 of some danger, you wake up sweating because it's impacted your thinking. You believe it to be true. So you see, God was communicating with Joseph about his destiny. Giving him the larger picture, not exactly telling him how and where and what. But he was giving him the, the larger picture that you are destined to be a leader. Hallelujah. God doesn't give us, uh, you know, uh, often give all the fine, uh, the minute details or the fine print. He just gives you the big picture. So that he uh, makes, he wants us to understand the direction. He wants us to understand the destiny. So now as we walk towards it, we can be careful how we live this life. So that the devil, so that the devil of the world will not distract us from the path that God has for us. Say amen. So you think... Well, thinking is so important. The dream impacted his thinking, which resulted in transforming what he believed. He didn't believe in his circumstances, although he was the youngest. And he was not taking care of the sheep. He was at home. And yet he believed that one day all his brothers that were already businessmen who were grown up adults, he said, one day you're going to bow down to me. He said, you really think that? Yeah. So they got angry and you know the story. I don't have to repeat that. But he held on to that dream and that dream kept him on the path that God wanted him to walk. He knew that it was God that gave him the dream and it was God who would fulfill the dream. Amen. When God gives you a vision or a dream or a prophetic word, don't try to fulfill it in your own strength. And don't get agitated when actually experiences in life take you in the other opposite direction. That's what happened with Joseph. Because God knows that he has to shape you. Remember what I said? If God doesn't shape you in the school of hard knocks, when you arrive at the top, you will topple. Because your character is not built to handle that position of honor, that position of wealth. I was saying, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said to the group of people and I said, listen, it is easier to handle failure than it is to handle success. Success is not easy to handle. Because if your character does not match the position you're enjoying, you're definitely going to ruin your life. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So you know what happened. You know how he ended up as the leader of the entire 
nation, the, the, lar the largest and the most influential nation in the world. Now, it is the word that defines you. It is God who defines who you are. Not what people tell you. That's why the key is to know Him. To know Him to the degree that you can trust Him. You know, I may know many of you here by seeing you. I might recognize you that you come to church. Or you might come and say, Pastor, I belong to this church. And so tomorrow you say, Pastor, uh, you recognize me? Yes, I know you. Will you give me 10 lakhs as, uh, you know, a loan? No. Why not? You don't have the money? I do have the money, but I'm not giving it to you. Why? I don't trust you. Because trust is built on relation. I'm not in any way saying that you're a bad person. I'm not saying that you will not repay the money. It's only that I don't have the confidence because I don't know you. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if I've known somebody, like I have some of my uh, senior staff members that have worked with me for 20 years or more, and they come and say something to me like this, I will have no hesitation because I know. I know. Because I've spent time with them. I know their character. I know their heart. I know how they behave with me in the past. I know their past ex the experiences I've had in the past with them. I know if there are people, if, there, if that person is a person that keeps his word or not. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? A lot of people know God from a distance. They don't know Him to the point where they can trust Him. So when you are put in a prison, you will begin to react and say, Where are you, God? I thought you saved me. I thought you said you were going to make me a leader. Is this what leadership is? See, why are you talking the way you're talking? Because you don't know Him. You thought you know Him. Or you knew Him. But you don't know Him. Are you able to understand the difference of what I'm trying to say? So the key here is to know God. Because when God reveals something about you, God speaks something about you, it is not so easy to believe. Why? Because you don't know Him. And I said this, if He says you are a deliverer of my people, then you are. Notwithstanding all the deformities you have or the inabilities like stammering. That's what Moses said. He said in, in Exodus 4.10, he said Moses raised another objection to God because God had called Moses, you know. And he says, Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. I'm not qualified. Hey, stop. God is not calling you based on your qualification or your ability. If God says it, he has the ability to provide that whatever that needs to be provided to make you what he said he would make you. But you can't come to that conclusion if you don't know him. You know what happened in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. It reads like this and I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. God is talking to Jeremiah, a young man. He says, I knew you even before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he says, I've set you apart. I've been, uh, before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you and appointed you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The guy did not even know he was a prophet, but God said, it's already written. I've determined. And then said I, 
Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm, I'm only a youth. In King James, it says, I'm only a child. Lord, I can't speak. Wow, God is so good, man. He says, those that are despised by the world, God picks up. He confounds the wise through foolish people. You know my story, most of you. I could not even pray before my parents. I was an extremely timid person, but God had different ideas. It took me years to believe that. Even after being filled with the Holy Ghost. Because you see, there is a fight going on. The reason we don't believe what God says is because we don't trust Him. That's simple. So what am I supposed to do? I've got to do everything I can to build my relationship with God, my intimacy with God. Then obvious result of that is trust. Trust is the result of building relationship. Say Amen. He says, Behold, I cannot speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said, Say not. Don't say that, He said. Why? Because He knows. He is the one that formed you in your mother's womb. It's not your father and mother. It's God. Your father and mother are only instruments. But it is God that formed you. Say not, I'm only a youth. For you shall go to all whom I shall send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He says, I've called you. I will be with you. Then... The Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. It is extremely important for every child of God to not just have a head knowledge of God, but an experiential knowledge of Jesus. It is a subjective, it is a subjective experience, but everyone is supposed to have it. Only as you grow in your experience with God, you can begin to learn to trust Him more and more. See, you can make your confessions from dawn to dusk. But if you don't trust God, that's not going to ever happen. Say Amen. The gospel or the word of God is what defines who you are. The gospel, the word of God defines who you are. Not the country you live in. Not the people you live among. Not the economic condition. Nor your educational qualifications. Not the country you live in, not the people you live among, not the economic conditions, nor your education. Let the word build the image of who you are. Let the word make you think differently. Glory be to God. Let the word change your image to see yourself increase in every area of your life. This year, say amen somebody. Now, I want to give you an example. Let's go to the book of Judges please. Because you know... Uh, I want you to get this. God speaks to us prophetically about our destiny. And He can use a, somebody to prophesy over you. He can give you a vision. He can give you a dream. But remember, everyone is, a, is here with a destiny that God has already established. Well, our job is not to determine that. Our job is to discover that. Say amen somebody. Our job is to discover the destiny that God has for us. So before you decide, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to fly away to Australia and do this. I'm going to go to America and do that. Hang on a minute. Check with the Lord. 
You don't belong to you. You've been bought with a price. Paul said, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are slaves, but we are free slaves. We become slaves by volition. That means by our submission, not by force. I submit to become a slave. I'm not enforced to be a slave to the Lord. Say amen. So our life and our destiny is determined by God. So I need to submit to God. I want to be this. I want to do that. I want to buy a house there. I want to do, I want to go there. No, hang on. Don't make decisions on your own. And then go and say, please Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And Lord, and nothing is happening. So I'm going to sow seed, Lord, in desperation. <laughs> trying to manipulate God through your seed or through your money. God is not moved. God is not a fool to change his plans for your life. God wants us to realign our thinking and realign our life. So don't determine by your own, in your own strength. Don't determine based on just your desires in life. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Judges chapter 6. Gideon. We're talking about Gideon. Gideon was chosen by God to deliver his people from the oppression of the Midianites. The Midianites were coming and impoverishing them, stealing everything that they ever had. You know, when the crops grew up, grew, grew to the point where they could be harvested, they would come in in large swarms of like locusts and wipe out everything and left the children of Israel, the people in covenant with God, impoverished, lived in poverty. They were living in caves. They were living, hiding from the enemy. And uh, that's when God called Gideon to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. And listen, although God called him and God spoke to him, Gideon was not ready. And that's what I want to show you. He did not. The reason Gideon did not respond immediately is he could not see himself do what God said he would do or he could do. The reason Gideon could not go and deliver the, the children of Israel from the, from the Midianites on the day that God spoke is because he could not see what God could see that Gideon could do. So what, is this, what, what happened? Gideon said, Lord, if it is you, do this. And he put out a fleece, remember? And he had a fleece experience. And God went along with that. Why? Because God was working on renewing his mind to change the image that Gideon carried about himself. And so, let's read a few scripture portions to understand this concept. <clears throat> Judges chapter 6 verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak, under an oak which was in Oprah, Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. They were living in fear. And while he was in hiding, the angel showed up. And the angel of the Lord. Now, whenever it says angel of the Lord, it's not a regular angel. In fact, a lot of Bible scholars believe that was Jesus. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Verse 14. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? The Lord is saying, listen, I am sending you. Go in thy might, 
and you will save Israel. Why? Because you're a mighty man of valor. This is what God saw in Gideon. And God gave him the instruction to go because he said, I'm sending you. So this is the image that God had about Gideon. And these were the thoughts that God had about Gideon. Remember something. Only God knows your potential. And only God knows what you're capable of. Better than anybody in this world. Not even you know your capacity. Not even your parents know your abilities. God knows your potential and your capabilities. Now the image that God had about Gideon is what we just read. Let's see what the image that Gideon had about himself. How did, how did Gideon see himself? This is important. Because you always act based on the image you carry about yourself. You know, if I call one of you who's never been on a stage like this before so many people, I said, give a testimony. The first thing that happens is you begin to freeze. You begin to sweat. And your tongue begins to stuck, get stuck onto the top of your mouth. You can't, I mean, you freeze, you, your thinking freezes. Why? Because you don't see yourself as somebody that has the capacity to be able to speak where people, you can hold their attention. Am I right? You always act and behave based on the image you carry on the inside. So although God had an image that Gideon had the ability and that God would provide him whatever is needed for him to go and to overcome the Midianites. Gideon had a different image of himself. Look at this. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. You said, um, I'm a mighty man of valor. You say that I can go in my strength and deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites? Pardon me. Hold it, God. Hold it. That's what he's saying. Hold it, angel. He said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Why are we in such dire straits? Why are we living this kind of life where we, 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 we are in lack all the time? Why is it that our enemies are able to overcome us and take everything from us and we are living in hiding and fear in caves? Why is all this? Why did all this happen? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, the Lord has abandoned us. Watch this. These are the words that are coming out of the abundance of his heart. He said, question number one is, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? Then he says, the Lord has abandoned us. It's a statement. God has departed from among us. He has left us alone. He has forgotten us. Many Christians think like that when they're going through a tough time. He's given us up into the hand of the median. Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? Are you looking at the right person, Lord? Or are you missing it? Is it someone else? I don't think I'm qualified. I can't see myself as a leader. I can't see as me, myself as one that can lead an army to overcome the Midianites. Pardon me. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. My family is weakest in Manasseh. We are, I am from the weakest family and I'm the least in my family. I mean, in, from every side, I'm disqualified. I don't believe what you're saying. I can't, I mean, the, the picture I have about God is He has forgotten us. He has abandoned us. 
And besides that, you're saying, I can go and do this? Have you forgotten that I come from a tribe that is the weakest in the land? And in that family, I am the least? I'm the least qualified. God does not despise people that are despised by people. Gideon's thoughts and image were defined by what? His experiences. By who he thought he was. His family status and circumstances. He was focused on all the negatives. He was focused on himself, his abilities, and who he perceived to be in the natural. So what happened? He disqualified himself. He said, Lord, this can't happen. I just can't do it. And then the reason Gideon could not go and fight with the Midianites the day that the Lord spoke to him is because he could not think like God thinks. He could not see like God sees. So he could not believe what God said. Why? Because he had no relationship with God. It was the angel of the Lord that came. And yet he could not believe. Reason? He could not trust it. Trust is always built on relationship. Somebody say amen. As long as you can't see what God sees, his power cannot flow through you or toward you. Now what happened? Then after this experience, Gideon started to build a relationship with God. He said, okay, Lord, I agree. Do me a favor. Because I don't know if I can trust you that you will use me and you will send me and you'll give me victory. So I'm going to put a fleece and I'm going to ask you to do something that's in the natural impossible. And it happened. Everything was wet. The fleece was dry. He said, okay, okay, okay. I got you, Lord. I mean, I know I've seen this happen. So he's talking to God. He's not just experiencing miracles. He is expressing his heart. He's trying to get to know God. Is he somebody that will keep his word? Come on. Amen. He is not working with his head. He's working with his heart. He wants to have an experiential knowledge of God. That's why I keep saying Christianity is a relational walk. He wants an experience. Because experiences with a person reveal more of the character of the person. Somebody can come and say, Pastor, I will do this and I will do that. And this happened many times in this church. And I, I will definitely come and I will definitely do this. And they don't show up and they say, I'm extremely sorry. Next time I'm definitely going to be there. At this time you can mark it in your calendar. I will be there. Next time comes they don't show up. The third time they say that, I'm going to definitely come. What's going on in my mind? They're not going to show up. I mean, you can be very vocal in the way you say it. Very expressive, very emotional. You can even shed tears and say, Pastor, I'm really, 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 really sorry, Lord, that I did this. But I'm never going to do it. You think I believe you? No. Why? Because my experience tells me that you're not a man who keeps his word. Everyone needs an experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us are lingering, lurking, not moving forward in God and, and having his word manifest in our lives because we're not growing in our experiential knowledge of God. That's why I'm telling you church, I'm insisting that every one of us do not neglect to pray Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 through 21. Lord God Almighty, the Father of glory, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. I want to know you Lord. The more I know you, the more I can trust you. The more I can believe, even in the impossible, I can take a stand and say yes. I know my God is with me. That's when a man can say, when he's being torched, crucified on the cross, and flames rising from deep, from underneath him. 
and is being set ablaze. I know I'm going to be in the arms of God. That confidence does not come because you're religious. That confidence comes because you know your God. You've experienced your God. You've experienced him in the pit. You've experienced him in the, in the, in the prison. And now you're experiencing him in the palace. You know that God will deliver you. You know that God will come through for you. You know, you know, not because somebody told you. That's why the psalmist said, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't lick Jesus with your tongue to taste, to know, to discern, and to have experience. He's talking about, when he says tasting, he's talking about experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So God is very patient. And that gives me hope. Why? Because he was, if he was patient with Gideon, he will be patient with me. And so if I ask him, Lord, help me to have a deeper relationship. Don't get angry, Lord. I'm asking because I want to know you more. I'm not putting this to test you out. But Lord, forgive me. I'm not that strong in faith. Because I've not experienced you. But can I have some experience? And so Gideon has this experience. Then he says, yes. There comes a day when he's thinking. Begins to align with God's way of thinking. The day arrives when he can see the picture that God is seeing. And now Gideon is ready. What stopped Gideon? What delayed Gideon? Was his thinking. Not the devil. I hope I got through to you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not the devil. It's your thinking. So I need to sincerely cry out to God. Lord God. Grant me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ. The eyes of my understanding being enlightened that I may know. Oh, that I may know. I want to know you, God. When I'm cheated, when I'm blamed, when I'm framed, when I'm accused, when my character is assassinated, I don't recoil, I don't react. I don't respond, react the way people in the world react. Why? My confidence is in the one that I've tasted and seen is good. And he is the one that will defend me. He is the one that will protect me. He is the one that will keep me safe. And he is the one that at the right time, he will come through and he will venerate. He will, he will prove me to be right. When Jesus was stay, is standing before Pilate, and all the chief priests and the elders were there, and they brought all kinds of false accusations. Jesus just kept quiet. And the Bible says Pilate marveled. Why is this guy not even talking a word, man? Even Pilate knew this was not right. All those accusations were false. But Jesus was not saying nothing. And then he turns to him and says, Don't you want to say and defend yourself? He doesn't speak again. He's not, why? Because he's trusting in his father. Then he says, are you the king of Jews? He said, you said it. That's when he opened his mouth. He knew who he was. He knew who he, he had confidence in who he was because he knew his father. Church, I'm challenging every one of us. Do we know our God? Do we know our Lord Jesus? What is the depth of your understanding and experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? As I said before, head knowledge will only get you that far. For three and a half years, Peter spent time with Jesus. On the night he was being falsely framed and accused, Peter denied him three times. 
But after the resurrection, the Holy Ghost came upon him. Something happened on the inside. It was so profound. That's why he said, we don't know Jesus. Paul said, I don't know Jesus in body form, but I know him. I know him. And so the Peter that denied Jesus before a servant girl three times was the Peter that died crucified upside down. And he counted it to be worthy to suffer for Christ. Wow. When you don't know God, I know you're all born again, and many of you speak in tongues, but when you don't know him in a deep and intimate manner, when the pressure increases, you will deny him. When the pressure increases, you will deny him. So church, I'm talking about increase of what? Your intimacy with God. That becomes the foundation of your walk with the Lord that will result in increase in all areas of life. That's the reason why Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, the later part of the verse is, The people that know, do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. No matter where you are, what circumstances surround you and who opposes you? See yourself as God sees you. Remember, you are blessed. Somebody say, I'm blessed. Yes. Which, is, which means what? You're empowered to prosper. Yes. Hallelujah. Destined to rule and reign in this life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Empowered to have all your needs met and be able to give to every good work. Empowered to increase in every area of your life. Hallelujah. According to Romans chapter 5 verse 17, the King James Version, it says, For by one man's offense, death reigned. One man, because of one man, Adam, death reigned. But they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, have you received it? The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You shall reign in this life. In this kingdom of God, you are a king. You're not a beggar, barely trying to make it in life. You're a son of God called to rule and reign in this life. See yourself as God sees and declares in his word. Don't keep saying I'm poor and expect to be rich. Learn the language of God. But you got to learn to trust him. Remember, if you're 100 years old and God shows up on the scene, he says, Abram, today I'm changing your name to Abraham, father of many nations. You think it'll be easy to believe? I know you'll nod your head and say, because God, I mean, if I don't believe, he's going to kill me. You know, that kind of belief will be there. But you don't believe in your heart. You know, if I say no, I, I might get fried. You know, KFC. Yeah. You might get fried if you don't, if you, you know, that, that, with the, in the fear you may say, I believe, Lord. Abraham, it says, he believed and it was counted for righteousness. He believed in the heart. How did Abraham believe? Why did he believe? Because he knew God. It's not saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. You cannot believe, I'm telling you, you cannot believe until you know the person. You know, when a person gets married, they say, I won't leave you. I will be with you in sickness and in good health and whatever, unto death. You're taking a chance, but you're trusting, you're hoping to trust the person. Well, that's the reason why there are so many divorces, because they say that. And the guy or the girl believes and then finds out it's not true because they don't know the person. Listen to me. I used to wonder, why do parents have to check their, the, the family history before they say yes to the marriage? I always wonder, I mean, I'm not marrying their family. 
Why should I know about the family? Many young people think like that because I'm marrying this person, the girl or the boy. So I, I know the person. I mean, well, you know one side of the person. You don't know everything. You only know the good side. You don't know the ugly side. Because everybody has a good side and ugly side. Right? You don't know the ugly side. So you're only exposing. You're very, very careful to expose only. Some men are saying, yes, yes, yeah, they're all, you know. But listen. So, so yeah, got it. So then they want, you know, I just want, yeah. What the parents are trying to do is find out how did the members of the family in the past behave. Because remember, now they're about marriageable age, which is somewhere between 20 and 30 or whatever, you know, plus or minus. They have been influenced in that culture. So don't be careful if you're marrying somebody from a family background where there have been too many divorces. Not that this person will do it, but that influence has already been set into motion. How did they spend their money? Were the parents and the family members always living in debt? I will not be surprised if the, after marriage you get into debt. I always tell everybody, I mean, from, as far as I know, my father, my mother never took loans, never, took, never were living in debt. I don't, I, even if they did, I didn't know that at all. So today, if I have to think of debt, it just, it, it just, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. Why? The influence. That's the culture of our family. So now I've, see, that's why when you grow older, you get wisdom. When you're in 20s, my father doesn't like me. That's why he doesn't want me to marry that girl. No, he loves you. He's trying to protect you from a future failure in marriage. See, as much as they can, they're trying to find out to get wisdom. How did the, how did the family members behave? What was the culture in their homes? How was the child raised? You see, because that gives me some understanding to know the person. See, if you blindly jump into something, I'm told in uh, Vegas, uh, they meet a person in the club or in the, in the mm, casinos, and they have, immediately they say, we get married. And they have everything ready. They have those kind of chapels or whatever they have to perform those marriages. They're done, and within a day, they're divorced. You don't rush into these. You've got to know. Likewise, if you want to grow and experience the blessings of God, you've got to know, to, go, to know God, to trust Him, to believe in His Word. Say Amen.